Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 35 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Barney and Angela. Now, this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode, mostly because we wanted to give you guys and girls the perfect appetizer for your holiday celebrations, right? Because it is the week between Christmas and New Year's, but also because our original plans for the episode involved Rob of uh, Our Strange Skies, so that is a podcast. So uh, Rob, unfortunately, uh, couldn't make it at the last second, so we threw together a sort of smorgasbord of fun things to talk about, um, and then in January, we're going to have Rob on to talk about music and the occult, so uh, we're going to drop a short promo for Our Strange Skies right here, right at the top of the episode, uh, so that way you guys can start tuning in ASAP. So let's put this right here. It was Paul Hellyer, the former Canadian Minister of Defense, that said, UFOs are as real as airplanes flying overhead. And here at the Our Strange Skies podcast, we're going to take that seriously. Starting in January, we'll be looking into UFO events, incidents, and myths that make up our American identity, from the pre-Roswell era to the post-Roswell era. We'll be covering some of the lesser-known incidents, like the Aztec UFO crash of 1948, John Everill's colonial UFO encounter, and Robert Richardson's 1967 brush with the Men in Black. We'll also be covering some of the more well-known incidents, like the Roswell crash, and doing in-depth profiles on people like J. Allen Hynek, Sergeant Clifford Stone, and many more. Look out for the Our Strange Skies podcast in January. In the meantime, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in Our Strange Skies. In gray, we trust. So, Angelo, Merry Christmas. Merry belated Christmas, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. All that fun stuff. If you're a celebrator of Kwanzaa, then Happy Kwanzaa, Angelo. I don't know if you are, but, you know. No, um, just pretty much regular old Christmas. Very perfect. general, non-denominational Christmas. Um, but, yeah, so how have you been? I've been uh, good, very busy, you know, as always during the holidays. Uh, it's kind of a crazy time on multiple fronts, especially the social one. So a little bit tiring as always. I, uh, it's weird. When I was young, I thought I would slow down in terms of like social engagements during the holidays when I got older, but it seems to be about the same, if not ramping up a little bit more in my case. Once you have kids, it gets a little easier. You just kind of have your own family stuff. We go to the grandparents' houses, Christmas Eve at my mother-in-law's and Christmas Day at my parents' house. And then after that, we just have fun with the kids. It's, it's honestly like once you have kids, it becomes about them. And it's, it's fun just to watch them open presents and um, have some fun with what they get. They get very excited at Christmas. I can, I'm sure you can imagine because you were once a child, I believe. Well, I mean, in theory, I was. I don't really remember much of it, but sure, there are pictures that exist of me as a child. Not as many as there are my kids, as we've established. <laughs> that is a very, very good point. So backing things up for a sec, originally we were planning on having Rob on and talking about music and the occult. Um, but speaking of music, there's actually a bunch of really interesting music slash tech news that's come out in the past week. And I figured you and I could uh, cover that for the tech portion of the show. So firstly, something really interesting. Your personal Lord and Savior, Apple, has just acquired Shazam for an obscene amount of money. It's actually not that much money if you think about the amount of money these companies usually deal in, right? They acquired Beats for $3 billion and Netflix spends $6 billion on basically all their new shows. And Apple just acquired Shazam at a steal of $400 million. It's an interesting acquisition. Um, it's been a few weeks now that it's it's been finalized. And the thing with Shazam, I haven't actually used the app in years because... I think with iOS 6 or 7, like years ago, they integrated Shazam with Siri. So Shazam has had a partnership with Apple. Yeah, so if you ask Siri what song is playing, it's actually using Shazam. 
Right, because I've uh, I've had Shazam on my phone. It's actually one of the few apps I do have on my phone, and I really do enjoy it. It's uh, helped me on certain situations. If I hear like a very old song on the radio and I have no idea what it is, it's it, in most cases it lets me know like almost instantly. In any case, and uh, a very handy app to have, um, and an app I guess that you wish you had um, back when you worked in retail. Yeah, I used to work in a music department of a big box um, electronic store, and. So this was the late 90s, early 2000s, and people would come in uh, humming songs, and I had I have no idea what they were talking about or humming about in this case, and I would never find it. And the thing with living in Quebec, um, there's a bit of a, a, a language thing too, right? So if the song's in French and the person's English, they get some things wrong, and if in the vast majority of cases the song's in English, and the person who's attempting to sing the song is francophone, and hilarity ensues. But I usually used to figure it out. I was actually pretty good at that. What was the weirdest song that you had to like sort of identify? So, not the weirdest song, but the way the person was saying the name of the artist. He kept asking for George to the Good. He said it was a band <laughs> called George to the Good. I don't know who's going to win this competition, but uh, if our listeners can guess... I'm saying, uh, Brian, they're going to win the bad to the bone award for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's the thing. So I'm wondering what Apple's going to do with Shazam. I'm wondering if they're actually going to do that really cool thing. I think it's the pixel that does this, where if your phone is just sitting there and there's music playing, it actually shows you on screen what's playing without you even prompting it, which is a pretty cool feature. That's a pretty cool feature. I just hope that it's an opt-in feature, not an opt-out feature. Oh, yeah. I mean, with anything like Google does, like you, you, it's always like uh, borderline creepy, but you can always opt out of everything. I think it's a pretty neat feature. If, like, like I've said before, if I had to switch from iOS to Android, hands down, I'd get a Pixel phone. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, like in the Pixel 2 marketing campaigns in full swing, right? So you went to go see Star Wars on the weekend. One of the commercials probably for you, too, was for the Pixel 2 at the beginning, right? Exactly. And I, I thought it was kind of neat. I like the Pixel a lot. I, it's had some issues with the screens and stuff, but that's nothing that can't be uh, hammered out. It's uh, it's still a great phone. If if you have to buy an Android phone, I, I don't, and you can afford it, I guess, because it's not a cheap phone. Uh, if you can afford it, you you should really get a Pixel. And, and my nerdy reason is because it's all completely controlled by Google. And the nice thing with that is that you'll get updates uh, with to Android right away. Um, the, the thing I do have with Google, though, is they often don't support their phones as long as Apple does. They'll often Yeah, like, it's a very short tail with that, yeah. It's like two or three years as opposed to four or five. But most people change their phones after two years anyway, so... Exactly, it's planned obsolescence, right? So It is unfortunate, though. Like, look, my, my daughter has a... F in her room, she has a f almost five-year-old... There's a four-years-old, I guess? The iPhone 5S, still perfectly functioning. I mean, the battery's not great, but... Who cares? It's always plugged in because it's basically just a music machine at this point. So my favorite take uh, on Shazam uh, being acquired by Apple is actually from The Onion. And I think I linked this to you last week, but it's a, it's a sort of streeter that they do. And uh, so they have like three fictional quotes from like three people. And my favorite one is uh, from a man, quote unquote, uh, named Peter Whitman, who uh, lists his <laughs> occupation as a wedding DJ. And uh, this is what he had to say. This was a costly mistake from Apple. They could have gotten Shazam for free in the App Store. And I was like, that is the smartest way of looking at that. That's absolutely right. It's, it's, it's pretty funny.
Speaking of music, though, uh, so much going on with uh, a lot of different streaming services, ex- uh, including, you know, um, Tidal, right? So Tidal has come out and basically said, we're losing a boatload of money. We don't know what we're going to do. Well, Tidal's the whole, uh, the audiophile's answer to streaming music, where you're paying for uh, quote-unquote higher quality, which I guess, technically, yes, you're getting higher quality MP3s, or are they even using mp3s are they using like some weird format i can't remember so yeah with title you can actually get flak files which are lossless um streams right so uh bandwidth wise that is a dramatic increase in both quality and size yeah i guess in quality but again it's are you going to hear it unless you're one of those people with uh special powers that buy sixty five thousand dollars speakers that is a very, very good point. But yeah, um, since the beginning, title, which includes owners like uh, Sean Carter, uh, you know, more famously known as Jay-Z, have collectively lost almost a bill, like half a billion dollars in this. And I think the only exclusive really stuff they had were, I think they had the, the latest Beyonce album without, like Apple Music still doesn't have it, I don't think, right? Yeah, Beyonce Lemonade. And if you head over to Spotify and you look that up, there's actually a note on the Beyonce page saying that they're working hard to get Lemonade, which I don't think is going to happen. Well, isn't it's it's her company, isn't it? Title? Well, yeah, I mean, like she's married to she's also invested in there, right? But she's also married to Jay Z, so clearly exactly. that's where they're going. Uh, Jay Z's newest album was title exclusive for forty four this summer, and uh, the weird thing is when I go see him uh, last month, a lot of the tracks that he played, the new ones, a lot of people didn't know them if they didn't have uh, accompanying YouTube videos. So a lot of the tracks were just album exclusives that you couldn't listen to anywhere else. There was kind of like a, a sort of like a disinterest in a lot of the songs that he played, which I thought was really interesting. And um, the arena wasn't as full as it could have been. I'm wondering if that was because he has decided to go title exclusive. Like with his last album, um, Magna Carter, Holy Grail, he teamed up with Samsung in order to give out uh, like something crazy, like a million copies of his album with phones. Um, but that didn't bar him from other streaming services. So I'm just wondering if he sort of cut himself off uh, in a large way, and this is kind of hurting Title, right? Yeah, that's that's the thing with Title, because I think it's a little more expensive as well, and it doesn't have anywhere near as many songs as Spotify or Apple Music. Um, if correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think that's true. Well, they don't have as much musical content. They also have like a lot of like different content. For example, like there's Elliot Wilson's Rap Radar podcast, which I used to listen to, and now it's uh, title exclusive, right? So you can't go listen to it uh, willy nilly. You have to like actually figure out, you know, how to get it through a title subscription. Um, so in terms of like quote unquote exclusive uh, content that isn't necessarily musical, it exists there. It is the well as large um, for musicians uh, that you can listen to? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, like I don't have. Uh, numbers in front of me but i wouldn't imagine it being much larger than apple or or uh, spotify at this point well it can't be those two services have like i think that 40 million songs each and google play as well but nobody uses google play um the, the the other thing is several months ago i think it was kanye west who tweeted to tim cook to buy title yeah <laughs> was it that am i dreaming that no no so the Kanye West Jay Z relationship is very complicated, right? Because uh, they used to be uh, so uh, Jay signed Kanye to Rockefeller. Uh, Kanye blew up, became his own man. They did watch the throne together. 
apparently Kanye West borrowed money from Jay-Z to get his 2016 tour going. There's some animosity there. Uh, Kanye wouldn't go title exclusive with his last album. And so like, there's a bunch of like strange blood there. So Kanye is always just out to sort of uh, figure out what to do uh, for himself, even when he uh, is biting the hand that feeds him in this case would be uh, Sean Carter, Jay-Z title, et cetera, et cetera. And title from the inception uh, from its public unveiling has had issues, right? Because uh, when they presented the, the format, they had all of these really, really famous musicians up on stage and saying, you know, this is an artist friendly um, subscription service but instead of pointing the finger at relatively unknown bands or you know smaller bands it was all the well-established uh pop stars of the day on stage they're sort of uh, flaunting um their collective wealth together so from the get-go titles had like an uphill battle in terms of uh public perception and the problem is at this point i don't think well spotify can't afford to buy them uh well there's very little for them to to buy well that's the other thing right like no but and that's what i was going to say is Apple or Google or Amazon, if anybody would be Amazon, I guess, but Amazon has their own music service, which nobody uses. Uh, but if anybody would buy them, it would be one of those three. Uh, I, don't, I don't see Microsoft caring. So, but nobody cares because these services have everything anyway. And if title disappears, well, these artists have to find a way to put their albums out there anyway. So they'll go to these services regardless. So nobody's going nobody's gonna to bail them out. No, and I mean Sprint put in a fair amount of money, you know, within the last year too. And I, I just don't see any more sponsors stepping up, given the fact that like the way that the playing field is emerging, um, places like Spotify and Apple Music and Google Play are self-sustaining, whereas title. Uh, while looking to be more artist friendly has kind of positioned itself out of the realm of uh, being like the most popular streaming service because of its both perception as well as its um, choice of music library. It can't be artist friendly if it can't have artists being able to have people listen to their music. That's the problem. The artists won't go there if they won't get uh, anywhere near as many streams as as they'd get on Spotify or Apple Music. Well, what I'm also interested in too is just I haven't seen a breakdown um, in terms of like a, a fact sheet of like us like a what an artist would be earning per stream, right? Per per channel, right? So how much you sh- how much would you earn for like a thousand plays on Spotify versus Apple Music versus Google Play versus Tidal versus you know all Amazon versus whatever else? So I haven't seen a concrete um, sort of a spreadsheet existing that kind of breaks this all down and kind of explains if you know Tidal is actually the more artist friendly place in terms of revenue share and how that works. The last time I saw that, I know that Spotify was the worst by a lot because most of their users are the free tier users. So Spotify has all these subscribers, but most of them are free. Um, and uh, I think at the time, and this was a while ago, right? So this was when Apple Music sort of came out and Tidal had come out a little bit before that. Tidal was a different name of a service before that, I think. And um, basically Apple bought beats basically for their beats music not for their headphones and i think at the time apple was one of the ones that artists made the most money from and i think it's there was some weird thing with taylor swift when they they first came out that uh she was saying artists weren't getting paid and and she was totally right Uh, apple was giving people three months free and not paying the artists for those three months i'm sorry but if you're if you're going to give three months free you should that should be on you not on uh on the artists and that's the problem with spotify where the free tier doesn't get artists paid right and that's definitely a bit of an issue i mean they they do ads but the ads probably don't cover enough of uh, what a stream uh, should be paying an artist to right so it's kind of a lose-lose situation 
And I mean, the thing is like titles, not necessarily the only uh, music platform with a lot of problems, right? So recently Apple was hit with a class action lawsuit over failing to pay mechanical royalties. Um, so there are a lot of streaming services that have issues. And in this case, I mean, with title, uh, what else is there to say? But Jay-Z's having 99 problems and titles, certainly one of those. Oh, well done, Brian. Well done. I, well, you are the dad uh, tonight. I get the dad joke in. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, that brings up a good thing. Like, what's going to last longer, Tidal or SoundCloud? Oh, that's a good question because we thought SoundCloud was down and out. And then uh, <laughs> I don't think this is the truth, but I want to believe that Chance the Rapper single-handedly um, <laughs> saved SoundCloud from starvation for a couple of months at least. Uh, the way things are going, apparently Tidal only has enough money for six more months, right? So I don't know uh, how much cash reserves uh, SoundCloud has, but it could be a race to the bottom in this case. And SoundCloud still can't get a damn redirect right. Um, actually, speaking of that, uh, this isn't in the notes, but in a recent episode of uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, uh, Mark Armand talked about how he had to like redo a whole thing in Overcast to fix that because a lot of podcasts don't do any redirect at all and people get stuck with old, old feeds. And uh, we actually took the time to make a redirect and it wasn't even our fault. The stupid company that's supposed to keep handling it and promised that they would handle it uh, forever stopped letting it work even though they haven't gone under yet so i don't know anyway so apparently if our problem would have happened in overcast just a week or two later we would never have caught it well there you go i do enjoy the fact that you're getting slightly angrier on a regular basis on the podcast i'm kind <laughs> of really into this idea you're not nearly as mad as you were about audio files and uh, as mad at soundcloud as you were um, the last couple of weeks, but I feel like the anger sort of like bubbling up a little tiny bit and I'm really, really enjoying that. Yeah. Well, audio files really get on my nerves, uh, but some happy stuff. Um, well, happy first good thing. My house won't burn down. Uh, and let me say why I didn't realize this, but after 10 or so years, smoke alarms don't work anymore. Did you know this? I did not know this continue. So, so they expire, right? And I have uh, a house just turned like 10 years old and we have hard wires, hardwired smoke alarms. And we noticed that one of them wasn't actually making noise whenever we'd burn, burn something. Well, like we hear the smoke alarm in the basement go off and the one in, on the top floor, but on the ground floor it wouldn't go off. And uh, it makes it sound like I live in a mansion. They're, the floors are not that big. They're all tied in together. So if one goes off, they all go off. The thing is, is that they're starting to like break and i was looking into like how do you change these whatever and it's it's not too complicated to change it's actually really easy um but then the, the came to what do i choose to change them with and i've always been intrigued by uh the nest protect smoke alarm i don't know if you've ever seen that brian no i haven't um but just to back up a sec there's a couple of things i want to address here did you throw your house a birthday party no my house turned 10 like in 2016 so it's actually more than a bit like i've been living here so it's like nine years now. The house is going to be, I guess, 11 years old or is it 11 years old? I don't know how old this, the house is. It's, I think it was built in May of 20, 2006. So it's like 11 and a bit. So touching on that very quickly, though, do you feel like uh, you invite ghosts into your life if you don't celebrate the house properly? I don't think so. Um, oh, I, didn't, I forgot to turn on the haunted lights. <laughs> uh, the haunted Christmas lights. I haven't turned them on, but no, I, I knock on wood. I don't feel as though my house is haunted. Although again, when we had Sam on that time, we were talking about uh, shadow people. I kept looking around and all my eyes, my eyes are going to start darting around to make sure there's none following me around. But no, I haven't celebrated the house's birthday. I don't think uh, that's 
necessary. We celebrate the house every day. We we enjoy its company. We're very happy. There we go. Even even though I had to like sp- uh, clean up a, a leak into my basement this this afternoon, but that's a uh, nothing major. Secondly, how often are you burning stuff in your house? Well, sometimes like you'll burn toast or bacon or whatever stuff in the oven. Uh, it's mostly like oven related. So like let's say something spills onto the bottom of the oven. Well, the next time you use the oven, it might smoke a bit. It doesn't happen that often, but yes. It, but Brian, it's not for when it happens, like when you burn stuff by accident. It's for when there's an actual fire and you don't want to die. Okay, so let's get into this nest thing because I'm very curious about this. I know very little. I've always rented. I've never owned. So uh, my smoke detectors work um, at, and also are at the mercy of my landlords, you know, who uh, care about me, I guess, in theory. So it's their job to um, fix them should anything ever go bad. So what is this? What have you bought for the family? So I, after a lot of research, um, I was looking and they're all relatively expensive the, the, to have a decent smoke alarm. And after the research, I saw that the Nest one, which is like really expensive, and I needed three of these things, was uh, the clear winner in terms of all uh, the smoke alarms and the way it works, uh, the reliability. Um, it's good for 10 years. Um, and it's, I, I bought a hardwired one. And that's the thing. I couldn't just buy one. You have to buy three. So uh, at 150 each, um, Canadian, so I guess they're like 109 to 120 in the US, uh, depending on when you get them. I was like, you know what? I, I really can't buy this. But then uh, Nest was having a special. So I ordered directly from Nest. And with each smoke alarm, I got a Google Home Mini. So a free boondoggle for you. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I've wanted these Nest ones. I'm going to regret it if I don't get it. Let me get it. And I get a bonus. And in my head, I was like, I'm not going to use the Google, Google Home Mini. I'm, who cares? I'll, I'll just sell them. Uh, once I get them and great, whatever, I'll make like 50 bucks off of each. And then I started reading about the Google Home Mini and on the same day, without me prompting anything, two people came up to me at work and talked about the Google Home Mini and they really sold me on it saying it's it's really great. It actually works well. So I got them. I haven't set up the smoke alarms yet, but I did set up the, because um, the smoke alarm is a lot more involved. So like I have to uh, shut off a breaker, get on a ladder, take them down. It's a good 10, 15 minutes each. So I haven't had time in the evening. I only received them yesterday uh, by uh, UPS. And I set up the Google Homes because those are way faster to set up. And I put one in the kitchen, one in the living room, and one in our bedroom. And they're really impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly surprised and happy. The only issue, and it's not really that big of a deal, is that I can't stream Apple Music with them because there's no partnership yet. Currently, there's a, a Google Play thing, obviously, because it's Google, uh, or Spotify. Now, the nice thing is Google free music works. So if I say, like, play Taylor Swift or whatever, it won't necessarily play a Taylor Swift song when I say it, but it'll play some Taylor Swift songs along with other songs that sort of sound like Taylor Swift. Or if I say play some uh, Christmas music, it'll do that as well. And the kids have really been having fun with it a lot. Um, so we're enjoying it. It works well. But there is one thing that I found interesting and borderline creepy. If you go to your Google activity, I don't know if you've ever been to your Google activity page. I have. Yes, I have. So it, it, so I don't know if our listeners know this. If you have a Google account, you also have a My Google Activity page, I think it's, or it's just Google Activity, whatever. Um, Google it. You'll find it. You log in with your account and you can see everything you've ever done with Google basically. Well, it's the same thing with Facebook at one point. You can see your entire activity, including all the um, 
profiles that you've looked up as well as like anything that you've clicked on. Okay, but wait. The thing with Google Home is that if you go and look at your activity, you can actually pay, press play and hear your voice talking to it. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's kind of funny that you can see that stuff. But now, <laughs> so this morning though, we, we got a, I noticed something funny with it as I was looking through it because I was curious to see. So it says um, what it hears. So this morning it, it, I looked and it said, so it heard us say, skip the song, put your pants inside your socks. <laughs> what that was. <laughs> so what that was, was somebody, my daughter, I guess it said, skip the song. And then it overheard my wife telling my son, put your pants inside your socks because he was putting on a snowsuit. It was very wet outside today. So yeah, so it hears everything. And then you kind of can press play and hear all the ridiculousness that ensues. Uh, anyway, all that to say, Google Home Mini, highly recommended. I can't say anything about the Google Home uh, regular and the Google Home Max, but apparently they're very good as well. And all of them have the exact same functionality. It's just the other two sound better. So there you go. Two birds, one stone, uh, protecting your family as well as filling their ears with joy. So congrats to you. And I think this is time for another double density PSA. So this one's a twofold one. The first one is, of course, always change your passwords. It's always good to change your passwords on a regular basis. And secondly... Check your smoke alarms. Yeah. Make sure they work. Make sure they work. Um, so this has been a short PSA courtesy of Double Density. Angela, it's time to head on over to the paranormal side of things. So I'll see you there. See you there. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gear from tech to the paranormal. So this week, there's only one thing that you and I want to talk about. Only one thing you and I need to talk about. Only one thing you and I should be talking about. And that is, of course, the recent New York Times article featuring a lot of revelations about UAPs, as the fancy people call them, you know, unidentified aerial phenomena. And uh, one of the uh, talking heads or one of the people quoted in this article is, of course, the uh, To the Stars member, Luis Elizondo, who formerly worked for the government and is now working for uh, Tom DeLong uh, at the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. And so... I just feel like I I want to scream this out, right? So, you know, like Tom DeLong, the guy who helped write the hit What's My Age Again and songs like F*** a Dog and When You F*** a Grandpa, maybe the new figurehead of the UFO establishment. How insane is that, Angelo? After all the making fun of him and everything, now he's got this guy on his team that uh, is proven to have been part of the Pentagon. Like, we didn't know him before. We weren't sure what his background was. They had mentioned it, but now... This is on record in the New York Times, unless this isn't like uh, the National Enquirer where nobody would give this a second look. This is the New York Times. It's an article uh, written in part by uh, Leslie Kane, who's written about this before, um, who I don't know if I'm a huge fan of hers. I find her a bit pretentious. Um, hopefully she's not listening. Sorry, if you want to be a guest, you're welcome. Double density podcast at gmail.com. You can you can tweet at us at double <laughs> underscore density. Facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. Please, Mrs. Keen, if you want to come on. It's Kane. More, sorry, Mrs. Kane. I got real excited at the idea of having her on. So well, it looks like Keen, but it's actually pronounced Kane. 
Oh, well, there you go. Or yeah. it's the other so, way around. I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, the yeah, as you mentioned, you know, the New York Times ostensibly the paper of record, even though Donald Trump calls them fake news uh, repeatedly, is now dropping knowledge bombs. And folks like Mr. Elizondo are now corroborating this like a strange narrative. Right. So like this wasn't like you were saying, like the National Enquirer or even uh, I think more so in the lane of what this used to be. R.I.P. The World Weekly News. Right. Um, this is an established paper who uh, posted the videos that the two stars Academy put up has interviewed a bunch of people, including uh, a man that we bring up on a frequent basis, Mr. Robert Bigelow. Right. So he's involved. Right. So this democratic Senator Harry Reid, right from Nevada, um, uh, so a decade ago, uh, and I'm going to quote directly from the article here. So Mr. Reed said his interest in UFOs came from Mr. Bigelow in 2007. Mr. Reed said in the interview, Mr. Bigelow told him that an official with the Defense Intelligence Agency has approached him wanting to visit Mr. Bigelow's ranch in Utah, where he conducted research. Now, so the thing is, um, what's in Utah, Angelo? Uh, I think... It's Skinwalker Ranch. There we go. And so I'm, I kind of find it funny that they decided not to name Skinwalker Ranch explicitly in this article. And I'm wondering if that was done strategically because, you know, if you name something like that, people are going to fall down the rabbit hole and then the article loses credibility. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's also technically not called Skinwalker Ranch. That's a nickname we've all given it that because of the the book that came out, I th- isn't it, what's the name of the family that owned it? It's usually called that, but... Now it's just Mr. Bigelow's Ranch in Utah. That's the name. You made him sound like a cowboy, like, you know, like Mr. Big Pants Bigelow's (laughs) Good Time Ranch. That would be kind of (laughs) cool. That's a great title for the episode. (laughs) But yeah, so like he uh, uh, is, of course, quoted in the article um, somewhat at length. And it's it's kind of fascinating that like the paper of record uh, in 2017 um, is sort of... uh, I don't know if they're starting the narrative for disclosure, but they're cur- like they're certainly pushing um, for the angle of uh, information, right? So like $22 million a year is allocated um, to a black project to, to study um, UAPs. And then there's the video of um, the Navy jet uh, following something that's a drone. And then it turns out not to be a drone because of the way that it switches over. Um, a lot of really, really fascinating stuff there um, in terms of actual content to look at. So it's not definitive proof, but it is strange proof. I'd say this is the closest we've come to any sort of disclosure from anything in the U.S. Other governments have always talked about this more, and the article does mention that some smaller countries do do take this a little more seriously than the U.S. in terms of uh, government talking about it. Well, I mean, but, I mean, look at us right in Canada. Yeah, exactly. Well, we have uh, we have like. Uh, What's his name? Paul Hillier. Hillier? Hillier? Hillier. Hillier. Yeah. He was, I mean, he's, he's an, an interesting character, that's for sure. Uh, but he's mentioned it before. And uh, we've, we have our own, we- like, there's a website that shows Canadian documents that have come out. A lot of them are redacted, but it's more than what the U.S. has ever provided. And this is a huge step. But is it really going to be disclosure? Eh, I don't know. It could, again... It could be anything, right? We don't know what these what they were chasing. They were chasing something for sure. Uh, but as uh, James Oberg mentions there, we don't know what they were chasing. They could have made a mistake. They could, it could be absolutely anything, but it's really interesting to look into it. Like that's the least skeptical I've ever seen James Oberg be about anything. So two questions arise from this. Firstly, how pissed do you think Stephen Greer is sitting at home uh, watching this news, uh, <laughs> knowing that he's not on the platform and that the New York Times hasn't reached out to him for comment? Yeah, he's he's not friends with uh, Tom DeLonge for sure at this point, because 
he's so, so this is one of his guys. Tom DeLonge is not mentioned in the article at all, from what I can tell, unless I missed it. But this is one of his people in the To the Stars Academy. Right. So the To the Stars Academy itself is mentioned in the article, but Tom DeLonge is not. But so, the, but that's way more than anything to do with Stephen Greer. Well, for sure. I mean, when's the last time the New York Times has quoted Stephen Greer in any sort of like substantial way um, that's making news? And, and the thing, too, is that like this New York Times article has a ripple effect in that it's being reported in other outlets. Right. So it's gaining this kind of traction here that a lot of articles of this nature tend to not do unless they're very lurid accounts. And, and the nature of news these days, there's so much going on that the fact that this is actually getting some steam among mainstream press is pretty impressive. So my first question was kind of a jokey one. My second question is actually a little bit more serious in nature. Um, do you believe this to maybe be the start of a disinformation campaign, given uh, the fact that these are a lot of former military figures? Um, Tom DeLong was emailing people like John Podesta and was sort of like uh, trying to sort of insert himself into the Washington circle uh, in, in terms of talking about um, non-Earth-bound uh, or Earth-created uh, crafts. So you think they're trying to basically confuse things and make it seem like it's something else that's going on when, um, when what? What do you think they're trying to disinform us? I find they're pretty, being pretty straightforward with what's coming out. Um, but I've never really grasped the whole concept of disinformation. I guess I understand it, but... Um, how, I mean, disinformation how, is, is distraction, right? So the idea in this case would be that, like, uh, maybe they are weapons or crafts created by uh, the U.S. government. You know, like, you know, we're talking about that Annie Jacobson book, uh, Area 51, about how Area 51 was actually just this base that existed, right? So I kind of feel like maybe they're trying to uh, pull away uh, from some of the R&D that they're doing by saying, like, oh, it might be aliens, like, whatever, forget uh, about yeah. it. Yeah, and it's it's actually has nothing to do with that, and it's stuff, stuff they're working on that the poor hapless F-18 Hornet, uh, I was going to say drivers, pilots, uh, <laughs> were following, but it had it was to do with a different military thing that they weren't in, uh, in on, and they kind of got um, caught up in it, and now this is out to kind of distract. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For whatever reason, they knew that this information was coming out, so they decided to spin it in this way, right? So I, you know, um, I'm not pretending to be a major proponent of things like disinformation, but it is something to think about when any, whenever information uh, from a quote-unquote like official source comes out, like this Navy jet video, and then all these people going on record who formerly had all these high government posts, you know, this Democratic senator who visited Robert Bigelow's ranch and like talked about all this different stuff. And so like, I just feel like whenever I hear um, any sort of information, I sort of question it not necessarily just from official sources but any news source that i read any news item that i read i definitely start to pick apart in my brain if it's something simple and just you know who's gaining from this kind of information do you think that's what elizondo is thinking of as he wistfully looks out the window in that amazing <laughs> picture they took of him um do you remember in one of our first episodes we covered those uh the pose? i don't remember what it was the tough guy pose yeah the tough guy pose yeah right yes we it was uh it was um a couple that they were working yeah. on the UFO book and they were like standing back to back with the, their arms crossed. Yes, uh, this is a different version of the tough guy pose. I highly encourage you, if, even if you don't read a word of the article, and you probably will if you listen to this, uh, but go look at that picture. It's fantastic. He's just staring out. And he's wondering what this could be. Could this be disinformation? Could this finally be aliens? Could he be losing his mind? Is this all a simulation? Well, the Who interesting knows. thing is the, the use of shadow too, right? So if you want to use your art history degree here, I invite you to do so, Angelo. Oh, man. 
it's it's a photo though. I was never really good at the photography part of it. Oh, so there's that. And then if you scroll down, uh, the funny thing is like that dichotomy between that and the Robert Bigelow picture where he's kind of hanging next to like, I guess <laughs> some kind of like lunar module replica. And he just looks like pissed. He just looks angry that he's being asked all these questions over and over again. Well, he's upset because all these people are coming to his ranch to look for uh, for treasure. The secret of Curly's gold. Now you put that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh, but yes, thing... I'm, I'm, so now look, let me, I'm looking at the picture and you see like... Uh, Oh, which a picture are we talking about here? Of, of, the... of Louis, uh, Louis Elizondo. Like, so okay. a quarter of his body is covered in shadow. And that represents the darkness of the unknown that he's not sure. And then there's the lights reflecting that sort of look like uh, the Gulf Breeze UFO. <laughs> Did you see those? Let me throw this out too. Yeah, so it's a reflection, I guess, because they're taking a picture inside out on a street. But also, he's wearing uh, a strange kind of clothing. He's almost... He's wearing black, Angelo. He is a man in black. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I thought it was more like brown, but yeah, it's, it's, and he's in the shadows. He's in the shadows. Partially concealed, right? So then and you look at that picture and then you look at Robert Bigelow, who's wearing uh, a nice shirt. He's got a pen in his pocket. He looks kind of annoyed, but he's also uh, running around. And we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes uh, on 60 Minutes on CBS saying that he's absolutely convinced and he knows that there are stuff out there. Yeah, but this is a great picture. He's surrounded by his models. I think this is in his basement. Well, I hope so. There's a couple of ships in the back. That'd be an amazing basement, actually. But yeah, he's he's been in the news a while as well about uh, the the aliens thing. This has been like the the theory, the story of 2017 when um, a lot of talk about disclosure and aliens and um, the Bigelow article was uh, the, the the 60 minutes story was this year as well I think it was just when we had recently started the podcast so um, yeah I think it was in May yeah I think people have realized we've started this show and we always have a lot to talk about in tech and they're trying to feed us some great stories for the paranormal yeah they're basically just this is for our own amusement and i feel like just backing things up a second we should have given a disclaimer to all of our listeners and like been like go to the new york times article like you know kind of like those uh, read-along books were like start on page three and like we could have gone through the pictures together <laughs> yeah that's true well I'll, I'll definitely be putting this in the show notes uh, well i hope so yeah so if you want to follow along definitely hit the link for that and look at these two amazing pictures a man bathed in shadow and mystery and a man with decent pants looking annoyed at talking about the problems of the world. Whoa, um, I just look at the, looked at the number of comments. I think this is probably... These stories always get the most comments for these, for these newspapers. 15, uh, 1,500 comments. I'm, yeah, I'm, so I'm scared to actually look at them. And once again, like we talk about this on a regular basis, but the C-section is like the worst place you can go to hang out. No, nah, it is not. Uh, the comments are pretty bad. So in light of this, like, what will 2018 look like uh, in terms of ufology, do you think? We're going to solve it. Do you think it's going to be an explosive year for uh, disclosure? Do you think it's going to be kind of um, more of the same? It's always more of the same. I was, I was jokingly going to say we're going to solve it, but we're not. It's, this is every year. Like, every few years this happens where we think it's going to, like, what was it, 2006 with Stephen Greer's press club meeting? And now this, although this seems to have... Is it just me or does it seem to have more traction? I think this has legs, definitely. It definitely does have legs. And I think um, going into the new year, I think it also depends on what the news cycle brings, right? With the way that uh, society kind of digests news very quickly and spits it out. I wonder um, if this will have any lasting effect or if this is just going to be a blip on the radar in, you know, an oh, look at that kind of moment and then people walk away. I hope not. Uh, it's, it's such an interesting topic, even though, uh, as our listeners know, I'm not... 
super keen on automatically thinking these are aliens from another planet or anything um, paranormal. It could always be something explained, but this is really compelling stuff. It's super interesting, but it's probably going to just end up fizzling out and we're going to forget about it when um, something bizarre happens with certain people in certain positions of power. You're ever optimistic about this kind of stuff. I love it. I love the optimism about you thinking that it's, you know, going to be something great. I know. I was. I thought it was pretty cautiously <laughs> optimistic, not like oh no no. I, I'm about it. I'm using sarcasm because you're clearly a pessimist about all this. I'm not pessimistic. I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to fizzle out into nothing. I guess that's pessimistic. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm I'm skeptical. We know that. I'm. Well, yeah. What am I? I'm a, a 1.5 to two on the double density scale of ufology. So when you see an article like this, does this move you at all in terms of the scale? Are you like, yo, maybe I, I'm a 2.2 now? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can move the dial up a bit, but then it comes back down. So you feel like, you know, this is just a temporary bump up before you go back down to where you're supposed to be? Yeah, because they have to keep coming, right? The, the the articles have to keep coming and showing more and more proof. But um, look, that video is really cool. It's pretty compelling. It's interesting stuff. Something they, There's definitely something there, and we don't know what it is. So it's 100% a UFO. I, I hate UAP, by the way. I hate that term. Why does it remind you of like a uh, like a an airline company that you dislike? No, it's just so pretentious. It's like they had to change the term because UFO had all these weird connotations, and it's it's the connotations they put on themselves. A UFO is you can't not believe in UFOs, right? Because they're just unidentified flying objects that exists. So why have to rename it? It's uh, un, what is it? Unknown aerial phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Dumb. I love how you're passing judgment on the UFO establishment here. Do you think Michael Horn wants in on this? Do you think the Palladians want you know to be uh, cut into this narrative? No, because they already know the truth, and this is wrong in their eyes. <laughs> how do you think this affects like uh, other UFO cases that are being like investigated at the moment? Do you think there's like uh, a new lens by which we want to you know uh, relook at recent cases and go, oh, maybe there is something here given all this information? By recent cases, though, which do you mean, like the? Um... The the one that always sticks in my mind, which we haven't really mentioned here, is the O'Hare case. Oh, that's a good one, actually. Yeah, and that's something we may bring up in the new year. But yeah, that's um, I'm trying to think of a good one right now that's that recently happens. Uh, but the only thing that's sticking in my mind, of course, is the Chicago Mothman, which is not a UAP. <laughs> he is an AP. He's a he's a he's a known flying figure. He's an aerial phenomenon. He's a flap unto himself, really. When you really think about it, I haven't heard anything about him anymore. It's sad. What do you think Carl Sagan would have made of this? He would have been more sober about it, probably along the lines of what uh, James Oberg said, where we we can't know for sure what this is. And that's the scientific point of view, is that until you have definitive proof, all you have are, 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 are hypotheses, and you can't just completely go off the, off the rails with them. You have to kind of base them in reality, and the reality is that we don't know that aliens are visiting us. We can't, we can't know that, or we don't know that they're like, I think a more logical explanation, well, logical, I guess would, but a better or more realistic explanation is not that they're aliens, but they're us from the future. That's always been at the back of my mind as something that's probably more possible than aliens coming from all over the galaxy or the universe. Cause it's such a vast distance. Let's not even get into the paradox of time travel, uh, because that is clearly a subject that breaks my brain whenever I start to uh, think about it. Uh, just, don't, any... just don't think about it. Let it take you, <laughs> take over, and that's it. 
Yeah, but then you get, you know, like there's the grandfather paradox. There's all this stuff here that kind of like starts to bother me when I really do sit down and start to think about it. So I'm 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 gonna it's put happened, that aside. Brian, for that's the Mandela effect. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're just teasing me now at this point. Yeah, so, we haven't uh, we know. haven't brought up the Mandela effect yet. I, I do want to do a, an episode about that uh, eventually because I think it's fascinating. So this is definitely something to watch out for in 2018, right? So this is definitely one of the bigger stories uh, leading into the. Uh, new year and I, i'm interested to see where it goes if it picks up steam as we were saying if it's continual then angelo might become a 2.3 or 2.4 on the four point double density scale of ufology so i'm kind of curious to see if i can win you over slowly but surely to my like 2.5 to 3-ness uh, maybe yeah so with that in mind of course uh that brings things to a close for us here at double density for episode 35 so you can find us over on the internet in various places including twitter at double underscore density facebook.com slash double density podcast same thing on instagram and you can head over to doubledensity.net to find all of our newest episodes you can click the blog link to see some articles we've written and if you feel like contacting us you can go ahead and click that contact button and send us an email or actually just do so directly at doubledensitypodcast at gmail.com we uh invite and accept all sorts of uh, interesting content even if it is uh, robotic spam such as like weird bits of uh, children's books being read to us oh yeah i remember that that was so weird you know and uh, we're, we're hoping that we can kind of get more of that going on so if you have any comments of course or if you would like to review us over on the podcast store app on <laughs> apple on apple Podcasts. there we yeah. go and, you know i used to say the itunes store but that's not a thing that exists anymore for podcasts it's been a few months it's been a few months i'm slow to change angel you know this even and if you use overcast although our stats show that not that many people use overcast even though i keep trying to push it on everybody uh it's a great podcast app compared to the apple podcast but the vast majority of our listeners use the podcast app angela you're a good podcaster but a mediocre salesman when it comes to the apps <laughs> I guess. sorry i got a just a blunt assessment here oh well i uh, <laughs> so that's why i don't work sales and i stopped a long time ago in the aforementioned big box retail store where I sold music. Well, perfect. At least you recognize that about yourself. Uh, so I'm proud of you. Congrats. Um, this is the last podcast of 2017. So Angela, like happy new year to you. Yeah. Happy new year coming up real soon. Happy new year to all of our listeners out there. And of course we hope that you have happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate or don't celebrate. Cause we're, you know, we're very inclusive here on double density. So uh, I can keep that in mind when you are out there uh, enjoying your days off. Yeah, try not to get abducted by aliens uh, over the holidays. Um, it's always well. No, a if good you do, idea. if you do, double underscore density. Let us know. You DM us. We're always willing to talk about that kind of thing. Well, we have posited that Santa uh, is a UFO, so who knows? He's also like a magician too. I think I've I've been thinking about that a lot, a lot since we recorded our last episode about Santa actually being a wizard of sorts. So that's kind of stuck in my head these days. Well, he he was teamed up with Merlin at one point, apparently. So, 1959, Santa Claus, Mexican production. Check that out. You can find all of that on YouTube, as I mentioned last week. Angelo, it's been good to see you. And uh, I want everyone to tune in next week as we divine the spirits of Hendrix and Johnny Cash and take a communal hayride together. So I'll see you in 2018. See you in 2018. Goodbye. Bye. Was that the cat or your wife? What was that? (laughs) Idiot neighbor. Oh my god.